Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another awesome episode of the Biff Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Mee, and joined, as always, by my faithful co-host, Mr. Adam Shear. How's it going, Adam? Uh, great. Feeling very heroic today. Very heroic. Oh, okay. I like that. I like that. Excellent. Uh, well, we are on the hero's journey today with a uh, with a great guest. Uh, we have uh, Nate uh, Astley on. And I'm sorry, it, it is Astley, or am I mispronouncing that? Am I just butchering yeah, that? No, it's Nate Astel. <laughs> Astel. My apologies. My apologies. No you know, should have covered that before the episode started, but we do it live here. You know, no, that's okay. And I, if like if it's like Rick Astley, like that's, I get it. I'm just trying to, you know, fit Rick in wherever we are. You know, he's he's never far from my heart. <laughs> well, Nate, it is great to have you on because we're gonna dive into. You know, once again, another very uh, popular topic in the financial advising uh, world. You know, it's gaining a lot of steam. It's already very popular. And I feel it's really just at kind of the base of its uh, momentum. And that is, you know, financial therapy. You know, you are actually a financial therapist. That is your, uh, you know, your job title on your little business card, right? That is yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you want to just kind of let our listeners know, you know, what's the difference between a financial therapist and a financial advisor or a financial therapist and just a regular therapist? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, a financial therapist is someone who helps people with the psychological and emotional aspects of money. Uh, as part of that also includes relational aspects. So couples or families, things like that. Uh, my background is I'm a couples and family therapists, like that's, I got my master's degree in that, and that's my home discipline, but I've been kind of always worked with money stuff. It's a huge stressor in our lives, who to thunk, um, and we, we don't talk about money hardly at all, and when we do talk about it, a lot of times we tend to focus on numbers. We tend to focus on these concrete or more you know, quote, objective pieces, but money is an incredibly emotional experience. We don't, it's inherently emotional. We're not able to get away from the fact that we have feelings about where our dollars and cents go. And um, so what a financial therapist does is someone who can explore that with you, just like a regular therapist would explore your beliefs, your feelings, your thought patterns, your behaviors, and hopefully get you to where you're not only doing money differently, like whether it's saving more or spending less or whatever, but you're feeling different about it as well. And I think that's pretty unique to financial therapy. Yeah, I can definitely see it. So, you know, the therapist side came first and then you incorporated in the money side just because it is such a, you know, a common struggle for so many different people out there. Right. Yeah. And yeah, I can speak to that, you know, firsthand, uh, me and my fiance, we, uh, we almost never fight, but we are right now looking at buying a house and I can say there are definitely far more stressors in our relationship right now. We're having some more tiffs that we, you know, would never have if it wasn't for this massive financial burden looming over our heads. <laughs> And that's that's what I came here for. Actually, this is more of an intervention with you, Jerry. With... <laughs> Sorry, Jerry. I've been I've been bamboozled. 
And it, you know, we want to welcome Jerry's fiance onto the podcast. <laughs> yeah, <I'm just> <laughs> she is in the other room. She's home from work today, so <laughs> you can bring her right on. <laughs> Nate, this is live demo opportunity for you. Yeah. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So, um, I guess you know what, what in your experience, what are what are just the most common you know uh, friction points when it comes to money? I mean, I mentioned buying a house. That's kind of obvious, but is that, you know, the most common thing that your clients are coming to you or is, is there a common thing or is it all just everyone's their own kind of unique snowflake type deal? A lot of times uh, clients. So I, I kind of specialize in couples, couples with financial conflict or where there's mm. financial trauma, which is another fun thing to discuss. Um, but a lot of times with couples specifically, they come in because of, maybe one big disagreement, whether it's about a house or someone bought something and it was a significant amount of money and it, it, maybe there was some financial infidelity involved or they didn't tell their partner or like it, it was a significant thing that they disagreed on and they went through with it anyway. But oh, the problem is, is sometimes we focus on those big disagreements that we forget about all the little things that led up to it. Um, you know, all of us have a different way of thinking and feeling about money. All of us have different experiences about money and just inherently in, built into any relationship is that natural kind of friction. And what happens oftentimes is that natural friction uh, goes undiagnosed, untalked about. Like we don't, we don't work on that little stuff. And then when something big does come up, that's when the big blow up happens. And it's not like, uh, yeah, like, oh, it's it's buying in a house every time. I actually feel like the most common things that bring people in is those little disagreements around money or these little um, ruptures that happen in our relationship. And then the thing that gets them to call me is the big thing. Hmm. It's kind of like the the straw that breaks the camel's back and it's building and building and building and big kind of domino chain reaction is, do you feel this is something that kind of all couples have and it's some people just kind of cross that threshold or do you think, you know, some people, their relationship just doesn't have a healthy relationship with money and you kind of need to build it up from the, from the foundation. Uh, classic therapy answer. It depends. <laughs> Um, it depends. Good. <laughs> so I think we have, okay, well, if we think of it like risk factors and protective factors, mm -hmm. okay, so it some risk factors that might increase your likelihood of significant financial conflict. Um, so financial trauma where one or both members um, of the relationship have had you know really intense stuff go on with money it can be stuff like poverty it can be stuff like losing a job it can be stuff like my parent lost a job when I was growing up and that really affected how how I experienced life for a time um it can be things like my parents fought a lot about money and I just had this really negative experience anytime money was brought up so this what we call like big emotional experiences around money, uh, that is a risk factor because what it does is anytime money is brought up in the couple relationship, which is going to happen, um, 
it it puts us on edge and we're we're in our fight and flight responses and we we're you know we're we're getting triggered by past events um you know other of course other things that might be a little obvious like if there's communication challenges in the relationship if we struggle to talk about hard things um if it's hard for us to identify and express our emotions all of those things are going to be risk factors but there's also protective factors if we can maybe one of us has some pretty significant financial trauma but we're really good at uh talking about stuff and we're good at um you know, coming together as a team, that might prevent some of the bigger stuff from blowing up. Yeah. And I mean, it's it's also kind of not something you can head off. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but, you know, when I was in the dating world, it's not like I was sitting down and going, it's like, okay, show me your finances. <laughs> you know, these, these yeah. topics usually don't come up until you're already in a very, you know, serious relationship. You're talking about moving in together. Um, so, you know, you might not even know it's like, oh, my, my partner has a hundred thousand dollars in credit card debt that, uh, that I didn't know about while we were dating. But when we start filling out apartment applications, you know, all of a sudden this stuff starts coming up. I kind of feel like there's probably room to talk about it earlier than we do. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I find that there's a whole lot of fun parallels between money and sex. (laughs) Okay. Um, if. If we're in a dating relationship um, and we are, you know, we're we're getting close and we're going to be physically intimate or whatever, like, it's probably important to have discussions beforehand of like, are there traumas or other things that I need to be aware of um, before we engage in this as a couple? It's the same thing with money. Like, we probably should be talking about money more often. It doesn't mean we're talking about every all of our statements on the first date. But as the relationship naturally progresses, uh, I think there's financial intimacy that can be explored as well. So it might be awkward and for sure money is a taboo, but it's a it's a good thing to talk about money. It doesn't have to be like a big sit down talk necessarily, <laughs> but we we can say, hey, this is safe to talk about in our relationship. We get to build that rule. Yeah, that, that's a good point. We've actually had this conversation with uh, other guests in the past. You know, we did a, a grief specialist that we interviewed and, you know, they talked about the taboo things to talk about in life are, you know, death and money. And, you know, once again, it's coming up again. It's it's a taboo topic and it's it's hard for couples, even couples who are intimate with each other and, you know, know everything about each other. Even they struggle to talk about money with each other. Right. Yeah, it's super normal. Do you have any, uh, we'll call it best practices, right? For people that are looking to build a life together that are kind of en route to, to getting married, let's say, um, is there anything that you would, you'd say, Hey, these are just good things to do kind of before that's official or like around this time. I mean, aside from just like, let's, let's open up the conversation. Are there any specific actions that you'd recommend generally? Oh, let me let me get some free advice here. So I recently engaged shopping for a house. What what advice would you give to me? <laughs> yeah, good, good question. And again, we have Jerry's fiance. Let me call Sam in here. Let me call Sam in here. no, I I think so. General best practices is when we say we want to talk about it more, 
uh, how you talk matters just as much as what you talk about. Um, this is also true. Like how you fight matters more than what you fight about. So when we're talking about money, things I would recommend everyone, every couple does is start with how do we want each other to feel? Um, I want to feel like I'm on the same page with you. I want to feel like we're a team. I want to feel like you trust me and I trust you. I want to feel safe. Um, when we start talking about what we want to experience emotionally in this money conversation, um, it it starts us out on a like, oh, okay, this is a shared goal. Most of us want to feel these things. Um, most of us aren't saying, I want you to feel like crap. Like no one's, that's not how we, well, <laughs> if, maybe. If, it, if but, you are, you're probably in the wrong relationship. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> and so starting conversations out like that. And then I find it really helpful to explore the why behind your feelings. Um okay if I'm if I'm buying a house and we're talking about it and we're like well I really want this thing and you say well I don't care about that thing I want this thing um let's start talking about why that's important to us um and I find it helpful to explore a little bit about has there been anything in the past that's informing this is this just because it's a preference or is this because well I it's it's really important to me that we have an open style kitchen because that's how it was for me growing up and I remember all these fam positive family experiences I had because we could all join together I'm going to respond differently if I know your why than if if it feels like you're just you know putting your heels down on something that I don't understand or care about um th that requires some personal work so I think other things to include in our couple relationships is what's my money history like um not just what's happened to me, but what happened to my parents, what happened to my grandparents even. Mm. Like my beliefs about money is at least part, like, yeah, it's rooted in inside of me. It's rooted in my culture that I grew up in. But a large part of how I feel, think, and experience about money came from my parents and their parents. And like that intergenerational money stories and you can go as deep as you want here, but start talking about it with your partner. It's, I think it's interesting at the very least, but truthfully, I think it can be really helpful in preventing unnecessary arguments because we have a better understanding for our partners and where we're coming from. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. And uh, I can definitely speak to that. You know, I feel it's very difficult for my fiance uh, because I'm a, you know, financial advisor. I'm very focused on money and, you know, I'm very on board with the whole, you know, fire movement and financial independence, retire early and all about like living very frugally. So I'm like, Hey babe, we can get a house in Wyoming for like a hundred thousand dollars and save all this money. And she's just like, I don't want to live in Wyoming though. <laughs> it's fair <laughs> which is fair but you know i'm i've i tend to be very frugal and she is and she is more along the lines of you know i would like to actually enjoy the life i live rather than you know scraping by just to uh to save a couple bucks here and there yeah and this is actually something that comes up quite a bit where uh when i'm working with a couple one maybe they're a financial advisor or one person has more of a financial acumen like mm -hmm. They get it more they're exposed more and again back to the parallel with sex um if i was working uh if and by the way this is true my, my wife is a, a sex researcher uh and so 
like that's what she does mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I'm like well you know more about sex so you get to make <laughs> all of our sex decisions together like like no you might know more but like i don't want to be part of the decision making um you know just because maybe you jerry and i'm picking on you a little bit but like you feel free i feel free yeah like one person having more exposure doesn't mean that they are the default decision maker with Mm -hmm. money like this is still a team thing you both you both have your money histories preferences emotions and no one's history emotions or preference are are better like it's just something we have to come at as a team and like okay yeah i prefer these things you prefer these things um there's probably some compromise here but the most important thing is where we make decisions together because you'd likely make different decisions if it was just one of you but you're not you're you're a team you're a duo and so we have to make team decisions that's that's some great advice and something to i will keep to heart going forward Um, so we, we've talked a lot about couples, you know, that that's your main, uh, your main focus with most of your clients, but you know, what, what about other kind of money relationships, you know, parents, siblings speaking to, you know, uh, our, our past affecting our current, uh, one of my earliest memories is my father and my aunt, his sister got into a huge argument over money when I was younger, because when my grandparents were going into, you know, hospice care and how to pay for that hospice care, was a huge stressor. And my, my dad and my aunt were estranged for, you know, 10 years, you know, they wouldn't talk to each other for 10 years, all all because of money. So how how about those types of relationships? It's really complicated. Um, There, I feel like when, again, this is another reason that's so important that we talk about money, because that obviously that hugely affected your dad and his relationship with his sister, but it also affected you. And, you know, whether, I don't know how old you were when, when this happened, but like you probably kept on some level, some part of your brain saved this data, saved this information, said money is bad or scary or causes problems. Yeah. Um, Or, you know, maybe not exactly that simple, but there, that left an imprint. Mm -hmm. Um, And you know, I think with any family relationship, just like any couple relationship, there's a whole lot of factors. It's not it's not just money. And that's also kind of the same thing with couples. We, we can't get so overworked of like, it's because we have a financial disagreement. The financial disagreement is probably part of it. It's probably the thing we talk about. But if I had to guess, there's probably other stuff underneath that I felt I don't feel like heard from my sister, or I I feel like my brother talks over me, or I feel like there's power imbalances, or there's grief that is coming into play here. Like those are the all other parts that we don't talk about, but is likely influencing the financial disagreement just as much, or if not more. Yeah, definitely, definitely a perfect storm situation of you know grief of parents, you know, nearing end of life. Also coupled with a uh, Boston Irish household where talking was, you know, as taboo as money, <laughs> you know, <laughs> push all your emotions down. <laughs> so definitely cause a perfect storm. And I think that's very relatable uh, for, for you know, a lot of families out there. Yeah. And this is um, what I 
it's hard to do, especially when we're, our brains are like swimming in stress and swimming in big feelings. Um, so take a break if you need to, but what I encourage people when they're, when they're trying to do try and try and take this perfect storm, this amalgamation of all these bad factors, try and separate them out. How much of this is about the actual financial disagreement? How much of this is about grief? Uh, how much of this is about our brother-sister relationship? How much of this is about uh, financial stress I'm experiencing in my in my family, but doesn't really have to do with you? Like, if we can kind of break it out, it helps us sort our feelings too. Like, yes, I am frustrated. But what used to be this big ball of bad is now like a, a pie-sized, you know, ball of bad. And I can direct my emotions, can communicate my emotions much better if I'm if I'm not overwhelmed by it, just a big thing. And it's like, okay, there's pieces. They, they all need to get worked through. But the part I'm directing at you is the part that's appropriate to direct at you and not all the other stuff. That's in yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Especially, um, uh, you know, family business partners. Cause that was a piece of advice my dad gave to me out growing up is never go into business with family because it gets too complicated, but it sounds like with your approach, if, as long as you're open and honest about it, you know, you, you can make it work. It sounds like I, there, I feel like there's very, and the financial advisors might not agree with me on this, but, um, <laughs> get out the pitchforks. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's very few absolutes in money mm-hmm. in life. Um, and I think, yeah, never going to business. Like I, I get it. My, I, my family probably wouldn't do it either, but it's less about the never and the always. And it's instead just be intentional Peace. I don't want to say be smart about it. Cause even being smart doesn't prevent all things, but whatever you do money wise and in life, do it on purpose. Mm-hmm. Do it with a plan. Do it with forethought. Um, pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to your family, the systems around you. Um, you prevent a whole lot of word of hurt that way. Not all the hurt. Life is gonna have life, but yep. um, if you do things intentionally, I feel like it's a it's a better way to live. Honestly, yeah, we can definitely agree to that. Uh, something that came to mind, I, I really love all this. This is fantastic. It's fascinating to to listen to. We get into that financial practice space. Um, it's becoming more commonplace in the financial publications, right? CFP board just asks, adds this psychology of financial planning to the mm-hmm. actual exam. It's kind of moving to the forefront, right? But when we take that and we apply it to the real world, I'm speaking to and about the subset of planners that are that are trained deeply in the financial stuff, right? How do we how do we incorporate this? Like just raising awareness of or we might need to refer out to someone like Nate in just like we'd refer out to the estate planning attorney. Like mm-hmm. I, I I sense and hear and and see in the financial side something that might be neat you know we might need to uncover something here or work toward healing on this front like what what does that look like when when should i refer clients to you simply yeah that's a great question um 
<laughs> it depends. Uh, but <laughs> here's your check for five hundred dollars. Correct. No, I think so. If you, as a financial advisor, are are working with a client and <clears throat> there's some block, okay, whether it's uh, you know that they don't understand something or they're really struggling to stick to a plan or um i feel like most of the time even if we don't know why we we notice when there's a block um i think one thing that's very important that financial advisors do is do your own work what i mean by that is if certain situations cause you to get really uncomfy um that that's not necessarily bad like you're a human being but you can do harm to your clients if if you're not aware of your own stuff. So, and this is true for therapists as well, like we need to look inside of us of what are the, the touchy areas for us? Because if we're aware of what's happening inside of us, we're bit better able to be aware of what's going on for them and also be able to talk about it when the time comes be like, hey, so it sounds like there's some kind of block here. Um, it might be time to get additional help. I, th- I love the idea of like, just like we would get an estate attorney or we would get, you know, some other person as part of your team. Like there's a lot of feelings, which are super normal to have um, around money. Let's reach out. Uh, I, I think it's hard because on some, on one end, I don't do things that you are like not able to do. I, I don't <laughs> want you to put a hat on that you're not comfortable that- in. Yeah, that's that's what I was in. It's like, you know, the CFP board is kind of pushing advisors to wear many hats. And I feel there's a very big difference between, hey, learn some extra tax codes so you can better help, you know, calculated clients AGI with do, you know, deep therapeutic counseling on someone's, you know, deep rooted traumas. I feel this. I feel that they're kind of equating those twos of the two different hats to wear. And they're two very different, you know, levels of skill sets to acquire. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, it's super valid. And uh, honestly, when we, if I went into, a, not a perfect analogy, but if I went to a surgeon's office and I was like, well, I watched a lot of CSI, I'm sure I can do this. <laughs> like, um, you, you're probably not going to do the best work. But I think everyone having some basic CPR skills is probably not a bad idea. That's um, a good analogy. Yeah. Yeah. When it When it comes to like therapy, like, if you're asking clients like, tell me about your mother, that's my <laughs> that's my Freud impression, by the way. Um, you're you're probably overstepping your bounds. But um I think basic skills in validation, basic reflective listening skills, I mean, that's 80% of what therapists do. Mm-hmm. Um is we are again like speaking for all therapists, like we don't have our own stuff we need to work through, but like Um, like being able to be present with a client, being able to be aware of our own stuff, be aware to be kind and compassionate, be able to ask questions that are intentional. Like you don't need to be a therapist to do that. Like you, you can do this as a friend, you can do this as a professional. Um, you don't need to be an expert on psychology and therapy to be a a decent human being that's present and validating um and you probably shouldn't pretend that you know 
how to process you know big feelings or big traumas if the if that's not your prior skill set which is okay like most clients don't need you to be an expert on everything it's okay to get additional support as part of your team nice now kind of going in that same vein are there certain you know thought exercises that you recommend or you know best practices for clients you know what what are some things that you can you know, share with our financial advisor listeners of things that they can kind of start incorporating where they can, you know, do it in a correct way without, uh, you know, overstepping their skill sets. Yeah, I I think um, there's quite a few assessments already out there. You probably heard the clients money script inventory. Um, and, you know, you can do what we call a money timeline where they you know, they, the client just thinks back about highs and lows in their financial life. Um, these are good conversation starters. I, I think of them like that. No assessment should be the rule of like, this is what my clients are. And I think sometimes because we we find comfort in assessments, we find comfort in feeling like, okay, this is like, I'm doing the thing. Um, and <laughs> humans are, are very complex and we're as many boxes as we create no one is going to fit into them perfectly so uh any yeah i think it's a good idea to do clients money script inventory with your clients to start the insight process if they've never thought about this before uh one thing i do is I'll, i give the money script inventory to clients and i'll ask them why do you think you got the scores that you did um and that's, that's pretty open-ended. They can go as deep as they want to go. And so that's a great start, you know, asking them about their money history. The money timeline, I think, is also a really good one. Um, I find it helpful. And again, plan or be aware of how deep you want to go. But just start asking questions about how does it feel to be talking to me right now? Uh, like, we're, we're going to be talking about numbers today. How does that feel? Like <laughs> that's I feel like that's kind and I, I guess therapeutic, but it, you don't you don't have to be a therapist to ask that. I'm I'm glad you bring that up because that's actually something I've noticed is becoming more and more prevalent is setting that baseline expectation. And and this is across kind of all spheres of you know, just figuring out when you're having a you know important conversation, just setting the guideline like, hey what level are you at coming into this? Cause I might be coming in at a hundred and you might be coming in at 20. And if I just do that, you're, you're going to close up and and not be very willing. Whereas if I just ask you straight up and you say, Hey, I'm at like a 20 today. I'm like, okay, let's, let's ease into this a little bit better. Right. And and then you can ask him, you say, uh, okay, you're at a 20. That's, that's totally fine and understandable. Is there anything that you think I can do that would help you get to a 30? Mm-hmm. Um, like, is, is there something small? Do we need to take a deep breath? Um, I'll make sure that I'm going extra, extra slow today, you know, make checking for understanding and comprehension, which you should be doing anyway. Like, you can meet people where they are without having to be an expert at every point, if that makes sense. Like, I, I can just be there with you and be what you need today. I know we need to talk about numbers and, and we talked about building your estate plan, whatever it is. And, uh, but like, yeah, I just want to check in. I'm going to check in a couple of times during our meeting. I, um, 
if there's comprehension issues or if anything's feeling overwhelming, let's go get you a glass of water. I have a, I have a little bit of snacks here. Like I'm actually a huge fan of offering little things that involve our senses. Mm -hmm. uh, it can be very grounding for clients who, where this is hard. Um, so little things like that can go a long way. Yeah, definitely. And that I think is probably the biggest, best advice you've given that our listeners can take away is, you know, because in my experience in this industry, I've worked with many advisors, especially the, you know, more uh, advisors with more experience, you know, 10, 20, 30 years in the industry. They tend to sit down with a client and just steamroll right into it. It's like, this is what we got to do. This is what the numbers are. Here's your packet. Here's your financial plan, yada, yada, yada. Any questions about the pure technical aspect of it? Okay, nice. Have a good day. Push them out the office. And if, if you know, advisors can start taking that step back and just checking in with the client from the get-go, um, I think you'll have much better client relationships. Right. Right. Which honestly equates to better business. Like, yes. And that's, yeah. that's the, the end goal really is, you know, better serve your clients so that they're happy, you know, give you recommendations and referrals. So do, if, if let's just say I'm looking to be more in tune with this side of myself, uh, as you mentioned, so I can then better serve my clients and, and, you know, just walk the talk. And uh, do I need to seek out a therapist who's a specialist in that area? Or is this something that you think just a, a clinician generally would be able to help process just exploring kind of my own money biases or past, like just in your opinion, how, how would yeah. that work? Um, I, I, I do think you tend to get better work out of someone who's done this before, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I honestly don't even think not every financial advisor, well, do I believe that? Hold on. <laughs> I was gonna, I was like not every financial advisor needs to see a therapist and like honestly every human ever needs to see a therapist. Um, but it, even just like basic stuff so something that I, I do with my clients that I think is free uh google a feelings wheel um feelings wheel is one of my favorite little activities it's it's a wheel and it has feelings words on it um, but the goal of the activity is to be more specific about the emotional experience. So you start in the center and it's like happy, sad, angry. Um, and I, just, I just Googled feelings wheel and I did not know there were this many different feelings. There's, there's a I lot know, of feelings right? on this feelings wheel. <laughs> there's like hundreds of feelings here. <laughs> Am I emotionally shallow? <laughs> it's like discovering like I've had cheddar cheese my whole life. And then you're like, oh my gosh. And there's Brie and there's Gouda and there's all this thing. And you're like, welcome to the world of cheese. Like <laughs> our emotions are a, a rich tapestry. And this is my like artist coming up. Um, so yeah, start, start with the words that you're very comfortable using and then see if like, okay, I, I know I'm feeling sad right now. Let me see if I go out to level two and see if, well, is, is it disappointment? Is it guilty? Is it, uh, you know, whatever it is, it adds flavor, adds context and adds, it's better communication. Do this with your partners, do this with your clients um, and and start, start using this. So that's a really good point, uh, starting point. Uh, other skills, that I think anyone can use, even if you don't see a clinician, is uh, what we call the speaker-listener technique. Um, it's a 
it's essentially a talking stick, like the thing you did in kindergarten. Yep. There's a reason it works. <laughs> um, <laughs> and if we can, if we start with our clients being able to reflect back what we hear. Okay, so I'm hearing you say this. Am I right? Am I? What else would you add? Like really tiny nudges like that can go a huge way to feeling like you understand your client, but so that your client feels understood. Um, and when I feel understood, I'm a much better listener. I'm also much more likely to be on board with what you're saying because I feel like you get me. Um, so speaker, listener, and feelings wheel. And then if you do, if you're like, like I'm coming up against some real stuff and I need to see someone, check out the Financial Therapy Association has a directory of financial therapists that you can see. Um, and, you know, we'd be happy to do that work with you as well. That that actually isn't, is, is there any special like designations to be a financial therapist? So like, can someone just, can someone who's a CFP just say, you know what, I really like financial therapy. I'm going to try my hand at it. I'm going to just start offering financial therapy as a service. You know, are they going to get in trouble? Do they need to get a license? Like what, what's that look like? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's not licensed, um, but there is a there are trainings. So the certified financial therapist designation is put out by the Financial Therapy Association. That is kind of the the big certification in it right now. Um, it, just like anyone can call themselves a financial planner, you know, if you call yourself a certified financial planner, that's different. But <laughs> you know, it's it's not regulated. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't mean you can't be unethical because you can, but, um, you know, I think it's one of those things that like, even I, I am for protecting the public against like someone calling themselves a financial advisor when they have, they, they don't have their series of, they, they don't have their experience, right? They've got a like, TikTok I'm, channel where they recommend cryptocurrencies and now they're a financial planner for doing some right. bunny bunny ear quotes for our listeners at home <laughs> yeah it, i i'm i'm for protecting the public and I, I generally am for like regulating fields where we can do harm which i think therapy and financial planning we can do harm so it's important that we have standards here it's also important to remember that even in regulated fields like i've been as someone who is a therapist who's done a lot of therapy in his life uh i've had relationships with my therapists that have been awesome and I've had really crappy ones too. So yes, anyone can call themselves a financial therapist right now, but if you do that and you don't have these skills and you're not clear about your expertise, you can do harm. And it's more of a reflection on you than I think the field. Um, so anyway, that may be harsh, but that is what I think. Hey, tough love. Sometimes you yeah. need some tough love. <laughs> yeah. They say money can't buy happiness. Agree or disagree? Um, I think it's nuanced. It depends. Um, <laughs> there's there's some recent uh, when you sent me that question beforehand. There was a recent study. I don't remember. I I don't I I can't say like oh it's recent. It was very recent. Um, but it's less about money can buy unhappiness and it's more about money can prevent unhappiness. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so having money doesn't inherently make me experience joy more often. Um, but 
it can prevent me from experience prevent me from experiencing pain in financial distress which like that makes sense if i'm if i'm always stressing about how am i going to make ends meet and pay for this bill and get like i'm going to be experiencing a lot of unhappiness and that unhappiness is going to get in the way of experiencing happiness um but it's not like oh well billionaires are the happiest people like that's just not true mm -hmm. and you know we've all heard the like seventy thousand a year is the threshold and then it it's not correlated anymore um i think the with inflation of things it's probably more like 100 now but uh yeah no no it doesn't buy unhappiness but it can sure help with unhappiness <laughs> yep I always, I always like the uh, the joke with that of you know money can't buy happiness, but it can buy a jet ski, and no one's been sad on a jet ski. <laughs> you know, I'll give it a try next time I'm on a jet ski. <laughs> yeah, just next time you're feeling down, just hop on a jet ski. <laughs> okay. Did you just solve therapy? Am I no one? I, I think so. We're calling it jet ski therapy. It's <laughs> <laughs> now. I think this working group needs to send an edit to to Sir Paul McCartney. Yeah. And say, well, uh, you know, can't buy me love. Money can't buy me love, but mm -hmm. it, it can dot 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 dot. It can <laughs> buy you a jet ski. It can right. buy you a jet ski. <laughs> a decent amount of money can buy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, excellent, excellent. Uh Adam, did you have any other uh comments before we uh we get into our bonus question i've i've hidden a little bonus question in here i'm excited to get into <laughs> um no but i just wanted to say thank you uh to nate i've really enjoyed uh listening to all this I, I find it really fascinating and um i i'm interested to to just see how financial planners that were trained on the financial path find their way into this newer territory. I think it's an exciting time. And uh, it's just fantastic that good work can be done to to help people even more, you know, beyond the, the parameters of a financial plan and numbers that it can actually contribute to deeper wellness. So thank you for what you do. And thank you for, for sharing everything with us today. Yeah, if I, if I can just kind of leave a final thought on that. Um, yeah. The the end goal has to be wellness. Um, making more money, keeping more money, being smarter with your money is great. But the end goal has to be a better life for people. We have to approach our field, financial planning at least, like as a helping profession, like nurses, like doctors, like teachers, where our main goal is to help people. Um, you know, making money is is morally neutral in my opinion like it, it doesn't mean you like yes you you, you want to be smart of course there's, there's financial reality but we have to help people like that's i hope that more people get into financial planning because they want to help people um and there's a whole lot of ways to do it. i think you know some basic exposure to financial therapy ideas is a great idea um, there's also lots of ways you can collaborate. We can refer out, like we talked about earlier. Um, one thing that I've started recently that I hope more people do is I have a, a collaborative practice. So I'm a financial therapist, but in-house, I also have a financial counselor and a financial planner. 
and we approach things like a treatment team, um, kind of like if if uh, at a eating disordered or a disordered eating clinic, um, you might have a therapist and a dietitian and a, a doctor or something. And we're all working together for the alcohol. You can work with financial therapists in your business as well. And I, I hope that's something we, that's something we move towards is yeah. uh, like we, we can be a team here and it doesn't, we don't need to be as territorial as that we might be right now. That's really interesting. And I think that's a, that's kind of a great effect as well of the industry moving away from kind of commission-based and more towards fee-based office hours type things. It does open up those relationships a lot better where you can, you know, partner in that more kind of like clinical setting that we've seen, you know, the medical field really excel at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's lots of opportunity and I, I would love to see financial planning in a very seen differently, uh, both Mm -hmm. from inside the industry and the public. Uh, in in 10 or 20 years. I would love to see that change. Yeah, great. Um, And then also, would you like to kind of just plug your stuff if our listeners want to kind of find more about you or maybe they want to, you know, engage in your services, you know, where where can they find you? Sure, yeah. So I'm I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Um, So Nathan Astle, not the famous cricket player. (laughs) Not Astley. (laughs) Yeah, also not Rick, not, man. Uh, no, so LinkedIn, uh, my website is the financial therapy, financial therapy, clinical institute, uh, dot com, but any, any Google search will hopefully get that. And my other, my other practice is called relational money. Um, if so, I, we do accept clients. If that's something that you are looking for or your client might be needing, uh, but the other thing is I offer trainings for financial planners and yeah. therapists, um, they're, they're on-demand trainings or video recordings. They have role plays and they have worksheets that you can use. And in the effort of making them affordable, they're only $60, uh, per wow. course. That's, so, that's less than my continuing education for the CFP on, uh, you know, I just yeah. did one on, uh, counseling divorced clients and, uh, that probably would have gone a lot better taking one of your courses. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm working on getting approved for CEs actually through the CFP board. Oh, um, that'd be great. Yeah. So it, I want this to be accessible. Um, yeah. And each, each training is about two and a half hours ish. Um, I got one on financial trauma, one on couples and money and one on family financial therapy. And then I've got two more in the works. So, uh, but you can find those on the website. It's financial therapy. And then there's, there's a tab that's for professionals and you can navigate there, but, um, yeah, reach out. I'm, I'm an open book. I'm happy to help where I can. Yeah, well, definitely let us know when you get that uh, that CE approval because I will certainly look to uh, take some of your courses to uh, you know get those CE credits under our belts. Awesome, excellent. All right, I got a bonus question for you. Uh, a, a little bird has told me uh, that you are a huge Lord of the Rings fan, so uh, nice. I I just wanted to know. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to know uh, who is your favorite Lord of the Rings character and why is it Samwise Gamgee? <laughs> uh, so Token actually said that Sam was the real hero. Yes. Yes. He did. <laughs> um, if you think about it, Sam is the uh, only time that uh, gave up the ring of his own volition. <laughs> uh, after Frodo is trapped, 
uh, in Mordor and Sam goes to rescue. And sorry, spoilers if you haven't seen the twenty-year-old movie, <laughs> an eighty-year-old um, spoiler. <laughs> yeah, like given. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, Sam gives the ring. Of, so I think there's character there, mm. and obviously he hasn't been dealing with the ring as long as Frodo, and they, even the Frodo scene is kind of the main character because he's the one that's on the quest. Um, anyway, <laughs> sorry, this is. You, you're going to unlock some deep nerdy stuff. <laughs> um, I'm about to say pull out like a genealogy map of like, okay, so the, like <laughs> Sam is the son of the gaffer and he's been working. But anyway, <laughs> um, I, I'm glad I didn't mean to force my own personal beliefs onto you, but I am glad that you actually <laughs> <laughs> did choose Sam anyways. <laughs> I, I love it. I feel like my, um, so if you've if you, if it's not in the movies there's a character called tom bombadil okay? <laughs> oh yes good old tom. and he uh he at some point early in the fellowship of the ring book he helps the hobbits get out of the shire so he's actually my favorite character and it's because it is heavily implied um that that's token writing himself into the story mm-hmm. um and Tom Bombadil is just a really chill dude. He's he's kind of someone that you imagine is constantly on mushrooms. Um, <laughs> like, for, or, or just like always, always having the devil's leaf. Uh, but like <laughs> why I say that, sorry, I don't. The, the reason I, I like that so much is he's just, he's very like nature and he's very a peace loving guy. And when you hear Token, they read as like, his diaries and his journals and like he has seen some crap in his life like he was in world war one he's um the actual token lived a a really intense life yeah and uh he wrote himself into tom bombadil because he's like i i just want peace and i just want to like chill and and like live in the forest and have no problem like that that kind of is magical. And I, I romanticize that idea sometimes. Like I just, I love being a financial therapist. I love what I do. And sometimes I kind of just want to live in the woods and not have any issues ever. And <laughs> and just let's, let's just all, I'm, I think I just have an inner hippie that needs to be let out. Yeah. I mean, that is a good point. I mean, the Tom Bombadil, they tell him like, you know, the world could be coming to an end. And his response was, Oh, that kind of sucks. You guys, you guys want to have lunch? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> just like the ultimate chill. <laughs> yes, yes, and I love that. So that that's my final answer. <laughs> uh, see, I think I'm going to introduce a Lord of the Rings test uh, for for my clients for financial therapy to to gauge where they are on their development because I feel depending on who your favorite fi- Lord of the Rings character is says a lot about where you are in your own personal growth. You know, mm. I feel when you're really when when I was really young. Legolas was my favorite character because you know yeah. he's the badass, he's the cool guy. He he surfs on he surfs on the shield going down the stairs, taking out. Uh-huh. He's awesome. And then you grow up a little bit, and you know you mature a little bit, and you're like, oh, you know, Aragorn's actually my favorite because he's you know noble and and kingly, and he always does the right thing. He's kind of like the Captain America, yeah, you know, uh-huh. type deal. And now that I'm in like my my mid thirties, I'm like, you know, who's got it going on? Sam. Sam is just, he's the best. He's hes just a dude doing the right thing, not asking anything for it. You know, he's hes who I look up to. And I feel, depending on where you are on that journey, kind of is shows a lot of who you relate to in the fellowship. 
it, tell me that we all don't want to live the hobbit lifestyle oh, yeah. oh, for sure <laughs> like yeah five meals a day taking a nap in the garden you know what what could go wrong with that fireplaces <laughs> reading drinking yeah. i mean yeah that's the life it's a dream don't yeah. sleep on gandalf the gray though i i i like gandalf the gray not Gandalf really the White, true. specifically Gandalf. No, I like the gray. Yeah. Gandalf the I White has like... too many responsibilities. He's just too... <laughs> I don't know. He's too lofty. I feel like Gandalf the Gray has some of that uh down-to-earth element about him. I think he's like a he brings people together, right? He's he's uh he's inspiring. He's he's a you know, big figure with a with a gentle soul. <laughs> that is good. He does yeah, have some I, sweet fireworks too. He does have awesome fireworks. <laughs> I, I am like biting my tongue right now on like Silmarillion lore, which of like I'm like, well, there's a reason, and he's the Meyer that worked at. <laughs> anyway, so I got um, that for um. I this is just a very short but funny little little thing. I got the uh, Silmarillion for my nephew for Christmas, and my wife was like, "What is this book?" And I was like, "It's a fake history textbook." Love it. He's going to go crazy for this. And and my nephew opened it up and everyone was dead silent except for him and I. And, and there was just like pure dorkdom. Yeah. <laughs> about the, the whole rest of the family was clueless. They're like, what'd you get? He's like, the Samarillion. This is amazing. And they're like, oh, okay. It's uh, a thousand page history textbook about stuff that never actually really happened. <laughs> I love it. Oh, so good. No, <laughs> oh, that is perfect. Well, thank you, listeners, uh, for uh, allowing us to indulge in some uh, some nerdum. Uh, sorry if you've never uh, you know read the books or seen the movies, but if if you've never even seen the movies, I don't know what you're doing with your life. You know, you guys got to get on that. <laughs> it's, it's part of the cultural zeitgeist that you need to know. Mm-hmm. It's definitely. Yeah. I think it's uh, all three Lord of the Rings movies are in IMDb's list of like 250 best movies ever made. All three mm-hmm. Lord of the Rings are in the top 10, <laughs> you know, yeah. not not just on the list. They're in the all three are in the top 10. One third of the 10 best movies ever made is Lord of the Rings. So get on that stuff, people. <laughs> 11 Academy Award winnings in 2003. They like swept the whole board. So yeah, if you so, need a. <laughs> Jerry, could well, this be a regular installment? I mean, would this hang with with the people that we generally have on the podcast? Uh, I even like I've I've incorporated things in the past. Like, I think I wrote an article for the website on like the dwarven economy and like trying to relate, you know, uh, hedging to the minds of Moria, just trying to figure out ways I can shoehorn Lord of the Rings into our curriculum. So, you know, if I can get your green light on that, Adam, that'd be great. Yeah, I don't say do say less. Done. <laughs> Done. And and this is, you know, documented. So this was the moment that we uh, took a hard left turn into, into fantasy. We didn't even CFP talk about money anymore. <laughs> excellent excellent well thank you so much i really appreciate you coming on uh it was a pleasure speaking to you uh for all of our listeners uh we hope you guys enjoyed it um and you you learned a lot that you can incorporate with your clients uh for our listeners sitting for the november exam uh you know we're getting into the swing of things uh when this episode comes up uh adam i think we'll be just about to start our uh, our first classes yeah, exciting time and very excited to welcome a new group of uh, CFP professionals into this helping profession. 
Well, thank you so much, guys. And I hope you all have a great rest of your week.